0: Matthew chapter 9, so if you have it, you want to turn there, it will not be on the screen for you, at least at this point, and I'll read this passage. Again, we're in uh, the book of Matthew, it's just a great place to find ourselves in these days to learn from and about what Jesus is doing. Verse 14, then John's disciples came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, how can the guest of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then, then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth in an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, I want to say uh, happy Father's Day to all our dads and those who uh, play father roles in other people's lives. Vastly important in this day. Can I just tell you that? uh, Can can I tell you one stat that I do know for a fact uh, that if Dad comes to church, that the rest of the family will follow in tow. But if Dad stays home, the rest of the family will potentially not show up to church. Not only then, but later in their life. It's just an incredible stat. Fathers have a huge influence on their families. Uh, Don't believe the culture around you and what it says and may whisper into your ear, "Ah, oh, it doesn't really matter. It matters tremendously. God has put you in your family's life or in other people's lives for a reason and for a purpose. And uh, and we're going to have to have Brother Ray come up here and uh, uh, lean into us uh, on uh, just that discrepancy of found in the law. We're going to get a little bit into it today, but found in the law, but free By grace, it's just an incredible story. Matthew 9, that's where we're at this morning. Matthew 9. As Americans, I think uh, uh, we like disruptors in our lives. Uh, We like those people who create interruptions into the normal course of events, activities, and processes. But can I put a caveat in this? We just don't like it done to us. Or we are, we are those people that like disruption on a constant basis. But we as Americans, we love disruptors. I mean, we like it. Henry Ford was a disruptor going back in history. You know, the first people who invested in this, uh, this uh, horseless thing he was doing, uh, you know, I think he had naysayers. I mean, they wanted investors like, what? This is never going to work. Horses will be around there. They will be around, but they're just not going to be used. He dreamed of something different on a very mass scale, just as the Wright brothers, right? So if you go to Greenfield Village, you have a nice little history lesson there. But even more recently, while he's passed, Job's legacy continues to eke into our present right with all its technological advances and whoever else is leading those areas of which I don't know the names of we like disruptors in almost every field you know the major disruptor of history was Jesus himself (laughs) he was the major disruptor Think about what we've already been walking through in Matthew and think of how he stepped into a culture and just continued to just do his thing. Major disruption. We are realizing what it means as we read together through Matthew what Jesus meant to be the Messiah, the Savior of the world. He is not nor will he ever be about the status quo of what you think is right and the way you think it should go. He didn't even keep the status quo for his day. His desire was to heal, forgive, and to give. I mean, he just poured himself out, and it was not even close to status quo. It was just so disruptive. Why? Because he is life. That's the very reason we... We tend to to slide in our own ways of doing things towards death and holding things into that trap. He moved everywhere he moved. He touched. It was about life and bringing life to the full. It's the same way today. Can I tell you that? Everywhere he goes, everywhere he touches, every person he places his hand on, if you will, figuratively, his spirit rests on, it is about life jesus said this in john ten ten, and it is out of the message so it's not going to be as you may have remembered i came so that they can have real and eternal life more and better than they ever dreamed of so what's your dream today what's your dream of life it's far better than you're even thinking in the moment it's far greater that he has a desire he desires to bring about a new thing in you through you but in order to do that friends brothers and sisters new ground needs to be broken in our minds and our hearts and our souls the old has to be cultivated it has to be plowed up when Jesus declares truth, we have to come to understand that he is not talking, uh, to, talking about keeping us in our status quo. We may know him and have a relationship. We may be followers of him, but he is all the time renewing and restoring us to something greater, something better. In Can I just say, Eden-esque. Maybe it's probably more precise. So let me ask you. Did you come in this morning ready, for, ready to receive something new, to be changed or transformed, or did you just come in to check your list? Because Jesus is about, and his spirit is about, doing and desiring something new in each one of you. Let's pray. Good Father, break new ground. Plant seeds of your life in us today you are the creator god who is unchanging in your character but you are ever creating a new thing we pray this in the power the name of jesus christ our lord and savior amen matthew chapter 9 then john john's disciples came and asked him how is it that we the, and the Pharisees fast, but often, but your disciples do not fast? If we've been paying attention over the last few weeks, or if you've not been a part of us, we will realize that Matthew, in Matthew's gospel, it's not just—it's uh, been really the Pharisees who get picked on. Uh, they are really at times the focus of the negative part of things. But here, it's not Pharisees that are coming to him; it's John's disciples. It's others. Not the Romans, not the Pharisees, but others are watching Jesus and going, wait a second, what are you doing? What are you, what are you, what's this new thing that you're breaking out of? And in John, as it speaks here in Matthew, uh, you, you need to know who John is. So just to make it clear, we're talking about John the Baptist. There's a grand assumption here as you read it. But it's talking about John the Baptist. It's Jesus' cousin born to Elizabeth and Zechariah. I just want to let you know that if you want to know a little bit about him, not much about him, you just have to read uh, the birth stories over again. But it's his disciples, his students who come and ask, why are you and your disciples eating and we're not eating? Why is it that you're feasting and we're not feasting? We're fasting. Let's answer this question really quickly. What is fasting? And we're not talking about a medical fast here either. Uh, some of us know what that is about, uh, where we don't eat in order for, to, for them to get a good blood draw or whatever else they're doing to us physically. But fasting involves this. It involves abstaining from all food, solid or liquid, but not from water, oftentimes. In the scriptures, that's what we read. And on many other places in scriptures, we can see there was abstinence from both both food and water, but not very often. The reason why someone would fast is that they want to give their attention and focus their affections on God, to get more of God. Now, I get it. There are some times and places and spaces that we have been encouraged to fast in order to get an answer for one thing or another. But can I just tell you the best place to find yourself fasting is systematically or regularly where it comes from an authentic heart where you just want more of God. Just want more of Jesus, you want more of who he is and that's what you seek and that's the only thing you seek. Leon Morris says this, fasting was a common religious practice in the ancient world. The only fast prescribed in the law was was on the Day of Atonement. But in New Testament times, pious Jews fasted every Monday and Thursday, and they might employ the practice at other solemn times. Perhaps we could say that whenever people felt that God should be approached in special humility for help in some time of trouble, they saw fasting as an appropriate way. Fasting regularly, twice a week, and on other occasions as well as certainly merits the description often, and that's what's happening here. Is they're they're systematically, and I would I would say that we probably need to be about systematic fasting, but uh, most often we find ourselves, as Leon Morris said, finding for a specific answer. And I think it's just a hunger for God to do His work, whatever He desires to do. Matthew nine fifteen, Jesus answered, "How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them?" The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and they, then they will fast. I, I don't know about you, but the month of June in our family is just, uh, just filled with weddings, uh, literally in our immediate family so far. And so we, uh, we know the, the month of June is wedding month, and maybe you do too. So Jesus is questioned about this ritual behavior, right, this idea of fasting, and he responds within this container of a wedding, the guests he talks about are those who are followers and disciples. They have been invited to the, the wedding ceremony. And in specifically in this text, it is directly pointing to the fact that those wedding guests have a specific and active role in his community. And the bridegroom, well, it's Jesus. He says they have no reason to fast because they're with them. Just last weekend... I was, uh, uh, Kathy and I were at the wedding, and Abigail were at the wedding of uh, our niece. Wonderful ceremony, right? Have you been to a wedding recently? But what is it that you do when you go to a wedding? What is it they, they want you to do when you go to a wedding? Celebrate, right? You celebrate. You go to celebrate. However, that's done. But when the bride and groom are in the same room, in this case, there's this this idea of celebrating the covenant they have committed to with some good friends, good family, and great food. It's not a time to kind of saddle up to the table and go, somebody's coming around and serving you. We were at a wedding a few weeks ago, and they served families. That was just kind of a cool thing to do. And they came along, and I'm not turning food down. It's not a time to go, you know, today is the day I fast. It's not going to happen, you know. When, when there's cake or donuts or ice cream, it's not the day to fast. Now, if you have some medical reason, I get all that. But it's just not a day to turn down food. It is a day to celebrate. And if there's dancing going on, well, you, you get up and move, right? Uh, even if it's like me, not so well, you know. try to tell people they don't want to see this. It doesn't work well. But you do, you want to celebrate. And Jesus is trying, he's conveying, look, now's not the time. But the interesting thing he does make is he says there will be a time. And there's a time coming. There will be a point in which Jesus, the bridegroom, will be taken away. And there will be a point in which prayer and fasting will be your food It will be where you need to be, on your knees with a community of friends and praying and asking God, what do we do next? But now is not that time. Now is not that time. In a masterful way, Jesus doesn't want them to lose what he's trying to say, so he states it another way. He says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth and an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. I don't know about you, but when I was in elementary school, our, our, uh, it's it probably it's probably some reason why you can't do this, but it had pea gravel all over it, right, on the on the uh, playground. So when you'd fall, if your hands didn't break the fall, and then get lodged pea gravel in your hands or wherever else. Man, it's a painful thing, right? You're pulling that stuff out while you're sitting doing English or whatever, pulling it out of your hand. It gets, you, you tear up your clo- you tear up your knees or your clothes. So my mom, uh, you know, she's not going to buy new jeans every week. And yes, friends, this was a day in which you did not go to school with torn jeans. It just wouldn't work. Uh, I, were they Ruskins? Anybody remember wearing... Yeah, they're Ruskins. Okay, I, I thought they were. In my mind, I'm like, I think that's what they were called. So, you know, you're not going to buy new Ruskins every week. So, you know, you get these patches. And uh, I love my mom, but she's, she's not a seamstress per se. So they were the iron-on patches. It's not what Jesus is talking about, but you get the iron-on patches, and I remember, you know, it would work, and it would be temporary, and eventually they would loosen up. But what Jesus is talking about is if you have a tear in a clothes, right, you got you to match the aged fabric with other aged fabrics. So what would be best is if you had an old pair of jeans that were no longer wearable to an old pair of jeans. You match them up. He says, you don't put new cloth, a new patch with old jeans because it'll make the hole bigger. It's like I'm trying to tell you something. There's, a, there's an existing jeans, right? An existing piece of clothing. And you do not put new with the old. He goes on. Again, he wants us to understand. He wants us to drink in what he is saying. The, I think it's a simple concept, but a hard one to grasp. He says, Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst and the new and the wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. So it's not just the wineskins that will be ruined, that the wine will be lost. No, they poured new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. A few weeks ago, our small group spent probably 40 minutes kind of wrestling through this text and I love when we do that. But what is it that Jesus is addressing in this case? What's he introducing to us in this concept of wineskins, old wineskins and old wine and New wineskins and new wine. Is it that he wants us to start serving wine at every meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Some of you are happy about that if that were the case. I don't think that's what Jesus is necessarily saying, yet we will get to it in a second. He did do a a pretty crazy miracle uh, at a wedding. What I think he's introducing to us is the tension that's created between John's disciples and what jesus is representing so let's just kind of pour this out here literally yeah uh if we can john john is representing the old covenant the mosaic covenant right he comes with this this old testament idea he knows he's a precursor to the messiah that's his call on his life. That's Elizabeth and Zachariah's, uh, f- you know, that's their claim to fame. And the the, the their, their child is, you know, brings in that idea. But he brings a baptism, not of uh, a baptism of re- uh, repentance. This idea of, you know, he's calling Israel to repent for their wrongs and Again, it's a message of conviction of wrongs, not of something new, something changed. And so John has this tension there. There's this old wine and old wineskin that's there. Well, Jesus brings in this new covenant, right? It's a brand new covenant. And you have this, this, these new thoughts that he d- drops on us in Matthew 5 through 7. And if us is the Israel, then yes, it's all us. That he's saying, "Look, you see, you you know, you read it to be like this, but let me tell you what it really means." And he begins to upend and turn the kingdom of their religious structure and the way there was said up upended, not to abandon it, because we're clear. Jesus makes this clear. I didn't come to abandon it. I came to fulfill it but to create something new. So we have this whole, this whole thing where Jesus is baptized. And if you can get the mind, get your mind wrapped around the image of what's transpiring, he asked John, Old Covenant John, if you will, baptizer, to baptize him anew. And John's like, wait, no, it should be the other way around. He's like, no, this has to happen. But what we see in, in that moment is a deposit of the Holy Spirit that's lit on Jesus as Jesus is there and then the you know with the sky open and the father's voice and we've talked about this historically in messages is that that's one of those places where you see the triune god clearly demonstrated and lighting on Jesus bringing in a new thing almost as if Genesis 1 is being brought into the present moment that present moment Jesus brings a message of conviction But it doesn't stop with the wrongs. It really is this this invitation into the good. That's what we've been walking through is that Jesus doesn't leave you in a place of, you know, stop doing the wrong thing, right? That the atonement is, we'll see this in in the future in Matthew, but we know this to be the case, to to be the case, is that Jesus brings an atonement that is for once and for all not this continual over and over of sacrificing lambs. And he says, look, I, I can not only restore you to right relationship, I can bring about new things in you and through you that you've not even seemed or seen or even dreamed about. And he wants to bring that in and through you to happen. It's an invitation to a stream that never ends. It's exactly what we were singing about earlier. Come, Holy Spirit, come. What Jesus introduces to us is this, that the new must take precedent over the old. Now, John knew this. It's not something that was new on John. John, in fact, said, you know, he, his own words is, I must become less, so he must become more. And there's this transition of tension that's happening, if you will, between John and Jesus. And right before them in their very eyes. Jesus is bringing in this new kingdom. And as we read it, we get the sense of new and fresh stuff that's happening. We get a taste, if you will, as we've read through it, of healings. Of feedings. Of a welcome, if you will. Even at the table, right, with Matthew and the sinners there in the last message we talked about. It's all of that transpiring. This new thing that's happening. So new must take precedent over the old. But what is it that's new? Can I offer you uh, helps with this passage that deal with the last image that he gave to us? I think that oftentimes that I found myself looking more at the wineskins than really focusing my attention on the wine. The wineskins are, if you will, uh, taking a little bit from... Uh, Dr. Howard Snyder are the structures of which we've done things and which we do things but the wine historically has represented biblically historically has represented something vastly different that potentially uh, we may not draw lines to so as we consider our next step Our next step is to focus on the new wine, not on anything else. Because when we focus on the new wine, we'll get to it in a second, the structures will not matter. The form of which the the method, if you will, you may have heard this, the method is done, gives way to the message all day long. Howard Snyder says this, Every age knows the temptation to forget that the gospel is ever new. We try to contain the new wine of the gospel in old wineskins, outmoded traditions, obsolete philosophies, creaking institutions, old habits. But with with time, the old wineskins begin to bind the gospel. Then they must burst, and the power of the gospel must pour forth once more. Many times this has happened in, in the history of the church. Human nature wants to conserve, but the divine nature is to renew. It seems almost a law that things initially created to aid the gospel eventually become obstacles, old wineskins. Then God has to destroy or abandon them so that the gospel wine can renew man's world once again. What are we talking about? I think what Jesus was addressing then is that there were structures that had come with, with John and the, the Mosaic law that needed to be redone. Not abandoned. What had gotten them to that point needed to happen, but needed to be rebuilt in a different way. And oftentimes I think that that's the case. That's what Howard Snyder is saying even historically in the church beyond that point is there have been places where the church needs to to abandon some practices not because they were bad but because they need to be renewed. So our focus is on the new wine. What is the new wine? A few weeks ago we celebrate Pentecost. There's a direct line to wine and pentecost let's read it together it says in acts 2 all of them were filled with the holy spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the spirit enabled them this is chapter 2 acts Some, verse 13 somehow remained fun of them and said they have had too much wine do you see it what is it talking about it's talking about the holy spirit it goes on in verses 15 to 17. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. The new wine of our focus should continually and always be on the Holy Spirit's work in us and through us our desire to be filled and renewed on a regular basis. So every Sunday you will hear us uh, in some way, shape, or form say, come Holy Spirit, come, fill us afresh. Why? I mean, it's a very simple rule because we leak. But a very real reason is because the Bible says so. Ephesians 5, 18 says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. This word, filled, is a continuing action that we are to always and continually be asking for an infilling of the Holy Spirit because it's only through the infilling of the Holy Spirit while keeping the biblical truths in mind that we are able to plow new ground, to move forward as he's called us to do. As Jesus is doing exactly in this passage, he's being moved by the Spirit. So let me ask you this morning, do you have room for new wine? Are you concerned about the wineskin in which is no concern, can I tell you, of God's? We need as a people of God to value the the, uh, new wine above the wineskin. God will create the wineskin needed We need to be ready for what the Spirit wishes to pour into what he is creating in us and through us. When we value, when we value new wine, we will be ready. When we value Holy Spirit work, we will be ready. Followers of Jesus are called to consistently follow the Spirit's leading. Paul tells us that we must keep in step with the Spirit we keep in step with the Spirit, we'll be in alignment with God as followers of Jesus. And as somebody reminded me last week as I was recounting them uh, what uh, what I was taught on last week, they said, our following is always following Jesus. So if you can't see Jesus ahead of you, you're in the wrong way. I thought, oh, that's so good. So good. So are you asking for a fresh filling of the Spirit. And you say, well, wait, wait a second, is it that simple? Yes, Jesus said it was that simple. It's not through some song progression or conjuring that can lead there, but it's not through that. Uh, Luke eleven thirteen 13 says this, if you then, though you are evil, know how to get good gifts to your children, these are dads, how much more will your heavenly Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask them? All you have to do is ask. All you have to do is say, Gee, Father, I, I want the Holy Spirit. I, I want a fresh feeling of what, he, what you're doing. So, the Holy Spirit, in one aspect. The other aspect of this new wine, I believe, is pointing to the blood of Christ. The wine that was served is this new filling, this, also, this wine that we should keep our eyes on. Luke 22, 7 says this, After the supper he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for you. So we have this this cup of wine setting, right? They're having the Passover feast, and he said, Now there's something new I'm bringing to you. This is a new cup. It's filled with wine, but you need to understand something. It's the blood of my covenant. When we think about the, the cup that is served at communion, and whether it's juice or it's wine or whatever it is, what we think of is that our righteousness is nothing but garbage. No matter how much I do, it will never, if you were thinking on a scale for God, will never balance out the scale. It will never work. But it's God's righteousness in which I place myself. That's his righteousness is the only thing that's good and right. And I think, I don't know if John, if, if if Matthew wants us to intend to look to this but as the as a new wine, but I think that it's there. Paul says this: but whatever were gains to me I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whatever sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage. Or as as one commentator says, this is not, usually it's another word in, in another language that we would say is a swear word. That I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness that comes from God is from God on the basis of faith and faith alone. So communion becomes this reminder that, that I don't bring anything to the table. I bring nothing that the righteousness is based on God and God alone. I have nothing to boast in. I don't care how much money you make or who you think you are. God says, you're nothing, but you're everything because of the table. I've made you that way. So why do I focus on this? On, on the new wine aspect, not the wine skins, because we want to fill up on the Holy Spirit continuously and remind ourselves that our righteousness is only, our goodness is based on Jesus and Jesus alone and his cross. And when we keep those things in our, in our view, we, we can do all things through Christ who strengthen us. Now, I know there's some p- parameters around that, but we can And this is what needs to happen to us. Remember, we started with the disruptors. To follow Jesus, we need to be disrupted. And there's only one thing that can disrupt us on a regular basis, the Holy Spirit, and I believe the table, the communion table. Communion table reminds us that that my sins are, he's he's died for them. His righteousness paid for them. His blood covers them. The Holy Spirit, constant pinging, we're staying attentive to him. His desire is to fill this. So what about on this day? This Father's Day. And also a day in which we celebrate a freedom. It's through those that we become the best fathers and men that we can be. By being filled with the Holy Spirit. Remembering that God is our Father who paid through his son's life. For us to be with him, we become the best fathers and men we can be because we then have a heart and an attitude of humility for and to him to be used. Ladies, what about uh, y'all? It is through that that we become the best women and mothers and and people that we can be. There is no other way. This, This idea that if I keep the rules, the law, That I'm good. False. The foot of the cross. But it's only through his imparted, through Christ's imparted righteousness on us that we're good. We all become the best people we can be, the holy people we desire, the dreams that we dream about become realized, and the very hungers of our heart become, become real. To follow Jesus, we need to be disrupted. Are you ready to be disrupted today? It's not my words that do it. It is this open invitation to the Holy Spirit into your heart and into your life, reminding yourself that the cup of the new covenant is a reminder of a blood that had to flow in order to make our relationship right with him. Let us pray. Father, we come this morning because you're good. You're a good father who knew exactly what we needed, how we needed it, to be able to to bring about your good and your glory in us and through us, whether we're children in this room, fathers or mothers, aunts or uncles, doesn't matter, you gave it all for us. So Jesus, I pray, Father, I pray that you would allow us to to have more wine this morning. Friend, maybe you, you've never asked for the Holy Spirit before. You, you've been a Christian all these years, but you've never thought about just saying, Father, I, I want the Holy Spirit. Uh, not, only because he's, not only because it's something I need to ask for, but because he's the guide. He's, he, he's, he's the one that will make me the best I can be. Just simply ask. Just simply ask, Father, Will you pour out your Holy Spirit fresh on me today, Holy Holy Spirit? Will you do the work you wish to do within me, Father? We we want to be a people of new wine. And in the new wineskins, you are continually and constantly creating. Father, there are obstacles. There are obstacles in our, our lives that have become apparent in this last week. And we have attempted under, under law, under our own strength, on our own ways to try to find the solution. It's been at work. It's been in our home. It's with our finances. It's with our relationships. Yet Father Jesus invites us into something new. So, Father, we ask that you would fill us afresh and anew, reminding us that your Son paid the price on a cross that we could not pay, gave us a life that we could never imagine, and wants to give us a life that we could never imagine. So, Father, pour into us in these moments, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.